0: you and me, we reach in for something, we grasp it, uh, we know that we want it, and we just won't let go, and it's ultimately the way that we get captured in our hearts with things that just don't ultimately satisfy. Contentment.
1: Learning how to be content in every circumstance in life. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. At one time or another, we all find ourselves discontent with the circumstances we face, So how do we overcome these challenging times in our lives? Today, David takes us to the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John in a message he calls, Jesus, the bread of life.
0: Well, today I wanna talk to you about this word, contentment, contentment. For I don't think I've ever seen in my years on this planet um, a culture that is so discontent Again, it's like no other time that I have seen. And the verses I'm going to give you today from John, the sixth chapter, talk about contentment and the need for all of us to find our lives and our sufficiency in Jesus and Jesus alone. So let's begin addressing the problem of contentment by looking at the root cause. Uh, the root cause of discontentment is basically in the And jealousy, those are the sins that nobody wants to confess. Nobody wants to own the fact that they're envious and jealous of others. But the truth is, most of us have this as a problem. And envy and jealousy are what drives discontentment in our hearts and makes us think that if we just had a little bit more of blank, you fill in the blank. Better looking, more clothes, bigger house, nicer car, better job, more money in the bank account, better vacation places. You fill in the blank. If I just had more uh, blank, then I'd be happy. But the truth is, even if you get it, it wears off and you look for a new thrill. And discontentment is the major emotion that social media causes today. Hey, the advertisers know it. They know that if they can create discontentment and a desire in your heart for more, you'll constantly be spending your time and money searching for something, buying something that will never satisfy. Envy, jealousy that causes discontentment. Um, It's very true that social media preys upon that. It's also true that 1 Timothy 6.6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, Nelson Rockefeller, the very wealthy billionaire, was once asked the question, how much does it take to be happy? He responded, just a little more. Godliness with contentment is great gain versus the message of our society. How much does it take to be happy? Just a little more. A little more. Do You know, in Africa, the way you catch monkeys to be able to put them into zoos is you put a coconut with the coconut hole at the top cut out and emptied out, and then you put a banana inside that coconut. And then the hole is just wide enough for the monkey to put its fist in, and it reaches in for the banana, which it loves and wants to eat. But the problem is when it clutches the banana, it can't take its fist out of The coconut. So when the monkey keeps trying to shake loose from the coconut, it can't do it. And then the hunters come and bonk the monkey over the head. And that's how they catch it. So much like you and me, we reach in for something. We grasp it. uh, We know that we want it and we just won't let go. And it's ultimately the way that we get captured in our hearts with things that just don't ultimately satisfy contentment. You know, in Philippians, the fourth chapter, uh, Paul is in jail and he is perhaps facing a long imprisonment, maybe even certain death. And while he is writing a letter to the church at Philippi, he writes these words in Philippians 4.12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. So so he knew what it was like to be really successful, the crowds cheering, how great you are. He also knew what it was like to be brought low, uh, where he was humbled and nobody wanted to follow him whatsoever. And he also said, and I know how to abound, and I know in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul had to learn contentment. It's something that all of us need to learn. It's it's not natural because all of us just think if I had a bit more, if I had yet something else, then I would be satisfied. Let's look at John the sixth chapter beginning with, with verses 22 through 25 and try to understand this whole problem of discontentment in people's lives then, in our lives now, and what the ultimate answer is. Now, spoiler alert, here is the answer. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. That when you eat of Him, you're always satisfied. That's the ultimate answer. But let's see how we get there today in these verses. Verses 22 through 25, after the feeding of the 5,000 men, 15,000 to 20,000 people, after the disciples went on the Sea of Tiberias, rowing against a strong contrary storm for nine hours, seven to 10 foot waves, and Jesus coming to them after he would pushed them into the ocean, after having prayed on a mountaintop, walking on the water, coming to them and saying, it is I, take courage, don't be afraid. After all of that, on the next day, The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. So the next day, the boat that had been there bringing Jesus and his disciples to the other side had left. Everybody concluded that Jesus had gone and his disciples had left as well, heading to the other side of the Sea of Tiberias, that long journey that they'd had the night before arriving on the other side. We continue, other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So other boats had come there. Probably the people got on those boats to go to the other side to try to find where Jesus was. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? So Jesus went to the other side with his disciples. The folks got into the boat and they came to the other side as well, seeking Jesus. And they asked the question to Jesus, you know, how did you get here? And Jesus realized what was in their heart. You know what it was? It was discontentment. They had been healed. They had been fed and Jesus had left them. They wanted to make him king. He said, I'm not going to be that kind of earthly king who just meets your every need. Because he knew that if we look to Jesus just to meet our needs. Now, folks, he does meet our needs. But if we look to him just to meet our needs, we'll always be unfulfilled because we'll always want more. We'll be like the the little kid that we throw into the air and we catch and they giggle and laugh. And what's the first thing they say again? We, we throw them in the air and we catch them. And what's the first thing they say? Again, and you can do it over and over again. They always want more and more. There's always a new thrill, a new appetite that needs to be satisfied. And Jesus knew the reason that they were seeking Him right now was not because they wanted to follow Him and serve Him and to be His students and pupils. He knew they were basically trying to find Him out because they wanted more, more healings, more food. And they were basically bandwagon Christians, something all of us need to struggle with today, especially as our culture becomes increasingly contrary to Christian principles and conviction. We need to ask ourselves the question, are we bandwagon Christians? Are we just following Jesus for what he'll give to us, the healings, and the food, or are we following Him because we know He's Lord and Savior of the universe, and we are following Him because He's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. He is Lord. We want to do whatever He calls us to do. And a bandwagon sports fan is a sports fan following his team as long as his team wins. But when his team starts to lose, they jump off the bandwagon. Every sports owner knows the way you increase attendance is by winning. So they try to assemble the best and greatest team ever in order to win. That puts people in the stands and they give their money and they get wealthy. Well, Jesus knew that as well, too. And he asked them the question, what are you seeking? Why are you coming to follow me? Is it because I healed you and because I solved your hunger problems so that you can just get more and more from me? Or is it because you really believe I am the way, the truth, and the life? He is warning them. He's warning us. Discontentment can cause bandwagon Christians to jump on as long as Jesus is meeting my needs, then jump off whenever Jesus is not meeting my needs. So then let's move on to the next section in verses 27 through 31 or 26 through 31. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again. He says that over and over again, amen and amen, or listen up, listen up, exclamation mark. I'm really telling you the truth right now. This is what you need to know. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you are filled with the loaves. Isn't that interesting? You know, you're following not because you saw a sign that points to my divinity that proves that I'm God in human flesh and I can therefore lay a claim upon your life because I created you and you're called to follow me. You're following me because of the loaves, because I took five gnarly barley loaves and two pickled fish and fed 15 to 20,000 people in one sitting. You're you're following me because I met your hunger needs because I was just there to give you more. And now that's what you want from me is just to continue to meet your needs. And my call upon your life is not for me only to meet your needs, which I can do. But my call upon your life, Jesus is saying, is for you to follow me and you to do what I call you to do. Then verse 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. He's saying just don't spend all your time in life trying to amass not just literal food, which you eat and then several hours later you want to eat some more. For example, the best example is Chinese food. Don't you love Chinese food? I mean, is that not just the best? I mean, have a dinner with Chinese food brought in, be with the family and it is delicious. It's wonderful. My family enjoys it. Here's the problem with Chinese food. Isn't it the truth? You eat it and a couple hours later, what are you? Hungry again, you got to have some more. It just doesn't satisfy long term. But that's not just true with food. It's true with anything in life. You get a success, an accomplishment, a goal that you want, and finally you get it. You feel so satisfied for a moment And then you start thinking about the next thing you've got to accomplish, the next mountain you've got to climb. And it's a never ending dissatisfaction and discontentment in your life. But back to the sports analogies. Teams work so hard to win a championship. And what is so odd after they win the championship, the very next day, all the sports pundits are predicting who's going to win the championship next year. I've read where coaches win the championship and then they say, I'm gonna enjoy this until midnight. Then I've got to start thinking about at the collegiate level, recruiting more athletes to continue the winning next year. It just never satisfies. It goes on and on and on. It's like Chinese food. It's like with sports. It's like in business, you accomplish something. There's always gotta be more. You know, the discontentment, the dissatisfaction of life consumes our souls and Jesus said. Don't search for that because it will always cause discontentment, but eat the food that will bring eternal satisfaction. And he's not just talking there about literal food. He's talking about the things in life that we'll quest after, that give a satisfaction forever. He's talking about life in Him and His life in us. Only there will we find the kind of eternal satisfaction that fills our souls and makes us feel satisfied. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 5 said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And in the Greek, that means blessed. Oh, how happy. Oh, how really happy and satisfied are those who really hunger and really thirst after God's righteousness, after living for Him, because those people and those people alone are those who are truly satisfied. He says, this is what the Son of Man will give you. Only Jesus, who calls Himself the Son of Man, can give you this food that never perishes. Now, Jesus calls Himself in the Bible, Son of Man, 60 times, six zero times. Now, why is that important? Because in the book of Daniel, chapter seven, as Daniel looked forward to the Messiah, God in human flesh coming to this earth, he called him the son of man. So for Jesus to designate himself as the son of man is an extraordinary claim to deity. He knew what he was saying and his listeners would have known what he was saying. You need to know it as well. He was claiming to be God, claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the anointed one of God. And he's saying, if you want food that you can ingest, not literal, but also spiritual food that will satisfy your heart, I give this to you as the Son of Man, God coming to earth to meet your every need. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. On whom? On the Son of Man, God has set his seal. Now, In that day, uh, whenever a contract was made between people or whenever a letter was sent, uh, the person who was representing one side in the contract or the person who was sending the letter would put his personal seal on that letter or contract. It was made in wax or some other substance that would stay on that particular sheet of papyri. And it signaled that this piece of paper, the contract or the letter, is authenticated And made sure to be that person who sent it or signs it. So the seal of the person who signs the contract is forever there showing that my name is indelibly written on this contract or on the letter. It's the person who sent it saying this is from me. This is my name. It represents me. So let's look at Jesus. He is God's contract, God's covenant with us. And The father's seal is on the son saying basically that this covenant that Jesus is making with you, an eternal covenant saying you're loved and cared for forever. I'll never leave you. I'll always be there for you. I'm the one who sent him. This is my seal that's on him. This covenant contract is true. Or it's the letter that the father is sending to us through the son Jesus and God's authentication is on Jesus to say, this is my son. I'm well pleased in him. He represents me totally and completely. What he says is absolutely true. So Jesus is saying, I'm the son of man and the father's seal of authentication is on me. And only I can give you the depth of satisfaction in your soul that lasts forever. You won't be looking to earthly things in literal food or the stuff of this world, which never satisfies. For for those of you who keep thinking, if I just get another Botox treatment, then my skin's going to be okay, And I can live in some kind of notoriety here on this side of eternity. Hollywood starlets and others are buying into that lie because, folks, the truth is all of our skin's aging. All of it's getting saggier. All of it's getting wrinklier. It's not going to last It will never last. It can't satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. You're thinking that you are who you are on the outside. That when people look at you, they'll accept you, then you'll feel okay about yourself. And let me warn you that just as they accept you for a moment, they'll turn on you immediately. People make lousy gods. People make awful gods. You may think they're going to be with you forever and love you forever, and you can be a celebrity. They'll turn on you in an instant. If you depend on your outsides for the deepest longings of your heart to be met, you're going to be sorely disappointed. This
1: is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to talk about today's Davidism. We'll be right back.
2: In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. For over 80 years, we have been helping these men and women who struggle with addiction. You know, you've probably seen the individuals who stand at the ended interstate ramp. They're holding a sign that says, Hungry, we'll work for food. And maybe you've felt a skepticism of, how are they going to use any money that I give them? what do those individuals truly need well at charlotte rescue mission we are all about transformation at our men's campus which is called rebound and our women's campus which is called doves nest we uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness the rescue mission provides free christian residential high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who would otherwise not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community whose lives have unraveled due to an addiction. Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in making this transformational ministry possible.
1: I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our Pastor David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today.
0: Thank you, Jen. It's great being with you, too.
1: In this morning's e-devotion, you wrote a Davidism about the difference between lust and love.
0: From my dad. I can remember him telling me this multiple times, not only me, but my brother and sister and others. It helps me understand the difference between lust and love because we are in a lust-saturated culture. Mm -hmm. It's one that demands what it wants, when it wants it, and if it doesn't get it, it pouts and is angry versus the biblical definition of love and how it is described. So here's what my dad said, lust can't wait to get, love can't wait to give. It really is that simple. Lust can't wait to get. Love can't wait to give. So we live in a culture of lust Mm -hmm. where people want what they want when they want it, especially with physical desires. They demand it now, and there's no deep-rooted covenant commitment in that intimate relationship, as opposed to love, which is rooted in covenant that says no matter what for richer or poorer sickness and health as long as we both shall live i'm going to be committed to you i'm going to love you i remember my dad when my mom had dementia though especially those last 3 years when she didn't know anyone he would walk into her room and hold her hand for hours speak to her when she wouldn't talk back and i asked him one time dad don't you ever think about just leaving and trying to get on with your life and he said to me no i made a covenant with her and i promised for better for worse sickness or health richer or poorer and this is bad but I still love her and I'm committed to her well that's the definition of love it can't wait to give it can't wait to Care for the beloved. So we live in a culture of lust, and God wants us to live in a culture of love. When we live in love, we really are His disciples, and Jesus said it well in John 13 34. By this, the world will know that you are mine by the way you love one another. Mm. Christians love, not lust, and when we do, the world notices that and wants to be a part of this Jesus whom we love so much.
1: This is so, so good. Thank you for sharing that. This kind of reminds me of something I've been sharing with my children recently. topic of delayed gratification.
0: Right, right. Our culture doesn't like that either. <laughs> no, not at
1: all. We're a microwave. Just give it to me quickly. But there's power in in mastering the flesh. I think Tim Keller says something about this in his book on marriage, that when you master the flesh, it really is the ultimate mark of maturity. And to love someone is a mature move. It
0: is indeed. And that whole idea of the Bible describes it as crucifying the flesh yeah. is something we all need to take to heart. A crucifixion in Jesus' day was the most horrific death possible. Mm -hmm. Uh, It oftentimes would take three to five days for somebody to die on that cross. So to crucify your flesh isn't an immediate kind of death to self, but it does take time, but it can happen. And when you choose to deny self and take up your cross, what God has called you to do and to be, and then to follow Jesus faithfully, over time, that flesh really does die. And you learn not to lust, to get, you learn how to love to give.
1: That is so powerful. I never thought about it that way, and I just feel a wave of grace wash over me well, when you say it that way. That's you, so powerful. You should.
0: And, and when that lust uh, gasps again to take control of your life, you can say, nope, I chose to nail you to the cross, and I don't know how long it's going to take, but you're going to die. And I'm going to live in love and not in lust.
1: Thank you so much, David. Powerful truths today.
0: And thank you, listeners, for joining me today. If you'd like to receive these daily Davidisms in your inbox, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there. They'll come to you free of charge from my heart to yours to begin your day with a moment of hope.
1: This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, senior pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our Sunday morning worship service and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock in person or by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. Also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for wisdom for the leaders of our country.